Okay, go ahead and flip to Psalm 42. Psalm 42, um, 1 through 10 or 11, I don't recall now. But I just want to read that, and then we'll pray, and then dig into to pressing depression. Psalm 42, verse 1. These are the words of God. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. O my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan, and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and his song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do you go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Let's pray. Our Father and most holy God, we come now to look at your word, to to hear about how we can better find ourselves in obedience to it. Help us, Holy Spirit, we pray, to be shaped, to be molded by this truth and not falsity. And I ask this in Christ's name, amen. So having dealt with the Worldview Foundations, Worldview Foundations in week one, the great problem of guilt in week two, um, the reality of emotional baggage that we all face in week three, and then, of course, the problems that we face if we take the environmental approach to dealing with our emotions last week, we now come to the final message dealing with perhaps the most pressing emotion, the most pressing, pressing emotional issue, we might say, of our day, that is depression. Now, I called it pressing depression, not only because it's a pressing matter, uh, though that is a play on words, it is, its debilitating consequences obviously can be truly dreadful, but I called it that because depression ought to be pressed. It ought to be pressed. That is, it ought to be analyzed. It ought to be examined. It ought to be investigated. Like any emotional condition, there are a variety of factors that can contribute to this particular condition. I, I'm convinced that depression is very much wildly misunderstood, and because of that, Christians are largely unequipped to help those who um, suffer from it. Depression uh, is a very difficult topic to address, and it must be done so with humility and caution, so I'm I'm hoping and praying that that's the case here. Um, There is no way that I could possibly say to you all there needs to be said on the topic, of course. Um, It's not the final word of the matter. However, the Christian church, I think, really doesn't deal much with it. 
And so I felt it necessary to at least offer up some semblance of a feeble attempt. Um, I will say this, having suffered from anxiety several years ago and having, um, having various bouts with despondency and uncertainty over the years, um, I can say that I, I've tasted a smidgen of depression, I think. However, I've personally never had the main course. I've had the hors d'oeuvres, <laughs> but not the main course. Um, one of the first things we need to realize is that the Bible does speak a lot about depression. It does say a lot. Um, it's not going to use language that we use. It's not going to deploy certain psychological terms that we have used and developed uh, over the past you know, two centuries, if you will. But it does have a lot of things to say. I think there were several characters in the Bible that did suffer from various symptoms of depression. Moses in Numbers 11, Jeremiah, uh, we saw that a couple weeks ago in Lamentations 3, um, Elijah uh, to some degree in 1 Kings 19, Job, you can read a little bit about that in Job chapter 6, and many of the psalmists, we read Psalm 77, Psalm 88, it's the same way, Psalm 42, and that's just a little, a little small um, example. But I think one thing needs to be clear when we talk about depression, there is no one cause, um, nor is there only one solution. It's far more complex than that, than to just say that there's one thing that you can always point to, and there's one solution that you can always point to. Um, we've already emphasized, I think, several times over that we are whole persons. We're trying to get rid of the Greek philosophy baggage. We are whole persons. And this means, obviously, we have mental, physical, and emotional parts of our being that we can say are very much intertwined, and they're not always easily identified. Uh, who but God knows the exact place where the immaterial meets the material, or where the brain's neurons meet your emotional uh, feelings or your depression? Who knows but God? Um, that, that's something I don't think science is ever going to put its finger on. Um, because we're talking about where the material eats, meets the immaterial. And I think to ask that question is to answer it. So there are, there are three main aspects of the body when it co comes to ways we can approach depression or any emotional suffering. Um, three aspects of the body we know are mind, body, and soul. Um, you have a soul that is immaterial, that is um, connected to God by virtue of the fact that he's the creator. You have a soul. You have a mind because you're a thinking person. You're a soul with a body. Um, all of that is equally ultimate. Um, there's not one that's emphasized over the other. Uh, it, this was difficult for me growing up as a dispensationalist because my understanding is this body was evil. It was going to go to the ground, and I'm going to zap off the planet. Hallelujah, because things are going to get bad. And it's very much platonic dualism. It's a dualistic view of life, and it has massive repercussions for your thinking. Um, and that's why when we, we were kind of talking about funerals earlier, um, just given, given the fact that some of our friends were, were um, in D.C., and uh, he's a funeral home director, and we kind of talked about, like, how do you deal with, you know, death and how you, how you walk through the reality of life and death in this world. And we have to keep in mind um, the truth of, of being whole persons, mind, body, and soul. Our bodies are going to be raised. We're going to be resurrected. We're going to be people who exist in a physical but glorified state, much like Jesus. Now, regarding depression in these aspects of the body, regarding the mind first, depression can, can be a combination 
of um, chemical imbalance and or wrong thinking. It can be uh, multiple things. There's no one cause. Um, one could suffer from depression because of a brain that lacks physical health. Um, perhaps, perhaps cerebral spinal fluid is blocked or perhaps your dopamine levels are off. There are a wide variety of ways that can contribute to this sort of thing. Um, he could also suffer because he's given himself over to fear or bitterness. Uh, you could have wrong thinking. You could have a physical problem. Depression, I think, again, it needs to be stressed, is not always the result of one thing, especially a result of a secret hidden sin. That, we'll get into this in a little bit, but that's one of the failures, I think, of the modern church, is just assuming, well, you're feeling down, therefore you obviously have a sin problem. Could there be that? Of course, obviously. But the mind is rather complex, which I think means that we ought not to be flippantly dismissive um, with our conclusions or, or, or rush to a conclusion that is ill-advised. Regarding the body, I think it's safe to say that eating McDonald's every single day isn't going to contribute to your he healthy lifestyle. If you've seen the documentary on that, it's quite an interesting documentary. The guy who ate there three meals a day for 30 days, and uh, he was nearly dead by the end of that. Um, vitamin deficiencies can wreak havoc on your mental, emotional, and physical health. Um, I remember B12 being a very important concoction in our household in the early toddler years. <laughs> um, one article I read actually cited a study. This study was interesting. Um, I, can tell you the, I can send you the link if you want to look at it, but a study that showed the connection between eating healthy and mood change. Um, basically, gut health, you know, it contributes to, your, to healthy skin, healthy bones, you know, all of your organs, essentially. Why would we think the brain is any different? Uh, it's an organ. It exists in your head. So there is this interesting study um, on the connection of those two things. Now, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about that. While it is legitimate, I think in theory, it's legitimate that chemical imbalances in the brain can be treated with chemical correctives. In theory, um, a shortage of this, add, a, add some of this, and perhaps there's a thing. Um, but <laughs> it's also clear that big pharma is like a status utopia for pushing pills instead of promoting what we can call a holistic approach to dealing with your body. Again, there's not just one solution. It's true that there's not one solution in terms of there's a root sin, and it's not one solution in terms of, well, if we just put enough pills in you, you'll be fine. There's got to be a holistic approach. Getting proper nutrition obviously helps your physical body, and no doubt it can help your emotional and mental body as well. Um, one example will just suffice here. The one study I was reading shows that your gut is actually responsible for generating 95% of your serotonin levels and 50% of your dopamine levels. So quite literally, when they, you know, you are what you eat sort of thing, <laughs> quite literally, um, what you are eating, they showed these studies that they had done in these tests, um, showed that that was a direct link to your actual dopamine and serotonin levels in your brain. Um, fascinating. It's interesting. So you literally have, they, they talked about this too in the article, you literally have four to five pounds of bacteria in your gut. And that bacteria obviously processes food, gives your cells nutrition, those sort of things. And all of it, of course, is connected to the rest of your body. Um, 
blood flow is connected to oxygen levels and th those types of things. So the point is, don't underestimate the power of food. <laughs> now, regarding the soul, that was the physical. What about the soul? Well, it is clear from Scripture that depression can be caused by a variety of things. Um, there could be demonic influence and possession. There could be something uh, related to sin. It could be something related to persecution. Um, I was reading uh, yesterday through First and Second Thessalonians, and it's interesting Paul's connection of trying to encourage them in the face of persecution uh, about cultivating joy and these types of things. Well, that's because persecution can get you down. Um, look, look at the Hong Kong situation. Um, our next radio episode is about that. Uh, it'll be coming out tonight, tomorrow morning. Persecution, you know, we can just say it. Communism will make you depressed, <laughs> that sort of thing. So there could be persecution. There could be emotional issues, emotional abuse, things that we've talked about already in this series. But I think the trouble comes in when we, when we deal with the depression. It comes in whenever we take any of these aspects of the body and suggest that one is cured or caused by the other and just, you know, making a unilateral statement without consideration. In other words, wrong assumptions lead to wrong solutions, that sort of thing. Emotional well-being is just as important as mental well-being. I think for far too long, Christians have been working with faulty assumptions about the human body, um, and as a result, they have come up with horrendous solutions to the emotional weight each of us can, can carry. Um, I think that's partly, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, when the Bible speaks of the heart being the center of a man, right? Proverbs 4.23 flows the, the wellspring of life. But then emotions are tied to the kidneys or the bowels, the gut. It's interesting the language the, the Hebrew worldview would have used. Um, emotions can be stored in our physical organs. It's just a, a, a miraculous thing in God's creation. But the wrong assumptions can lead to wrong conclusions. And a wrong assumption would be that you are a soul trapped in a body. And that theology will take you places it shouldn't. So, let me give you an example. We here at Crossing Crown Church, we would believe in nuthetic counseling. The word nuthetic basically comes from a Greek word that we normally translate in English as admonish or correction. So nothetic counseling is the idea that the Bible corrects us, and it does correct us. Nothetic counseling is really helpful in terms of thinking biblically. We need biblical categories, not pagan categories, so that's a helpful thing to do. However, there are some problems with nothetic counseling. It can be unhelpful if we assume, for example, that depression is solely the result, as we said, of hidden, unconfessed sin. Uh, again, it could be the case. There could be addiction. There could be, you know, secret things that are going on that are causing all sorts of havoc and problems in, in a person's life that could lead to that. It could be the case. But we have to be careful not to assume that just because someone is feeling down in the dumps that he or she is somehow sinning behind closed doors. As we've seen... <clears throat> Depression can sometimes be seen as this impenetrable thing. It's just this, this, this condition of despondency that is, is so far gone that is, you're unable to ever get out. And thus, many times Christians, we can assume that well, we don't know what to do with that. 
I think the writer of our passage helps us in Psalm 42. He deals with the feelings of despondency, and I'm just going to walk through it quickly. Um, he knows that God is his only hope in verse 1. So like, so like a deer who longs for water, so his soul pants after God. Um, because of his parched state of despondency, his soul thirsts. His soul in verse 2 thirsts for God. Um, he's probably in a position where he's unable to actually eat. He's so distraught, he's not eating. And here's why. Look at verse 3. He cries day and night, and he says his tears are his food. There is outside persecution that has crippled him. People are mocking him in verse 3, asking him where his God is to be found. Despite his depressive state, he presses on, and he presses in, and he remembers some things while he's pouring out his soul. In verse 4, he says, down in verse 5, he speaks to himself. I think it was Martin, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the doctor. He was a medical doctor turned preacher in England. Um, he said that Christians are people who talk to themselves. They are not people who listen to themselves. And he uses this verse as a description, meaning that we need to be able to be thinking rightly so that we can help ourselves feel rightly. And, and part of that is remembering who God is. So why are you cast down, my oh my soul? Why are you, why are you down? He recalls to mind the purpose and his goal. The, his goal is to hope in God, for God is his help. Which is to say, here's, a, here's something we need to develop. Emotional lamentation is a gift that God is quite capable of handling. If you are at a point where you are so frustrated with life, you're frustrated with your circumstances, you are absolutely distraught at what it is you're going through in the moment, and you go to bed and you cry yourself to sleep, you better believe that God can handle it. And not only can he handle it, he's encouraging it. Go to him in lamentation. Lament. Trying to stuff your feelings isn't going to work. It's just going to cause more physical anxiety. Let it go. Let it out. Let God have it, if you will. So, lament yourself to sleep if you need to. That's part of the process. Pressing depression requires us to take seriously every aspect of our being. Because of sin, our soul aches and longs for the image of God to be made right in us, making us whole and complete. That, that's an ache that we have. Like um, in Romans 8, you know, the earth groans. There's this groaning that happens. Um, John, I know you call it old man disease, but it's a groaning. We are looking to be made whole. We are looking to be made right. We, not only physically, but emotionally, we are looking for this. Um, while it is true that we live in a fallen world where mental breakdowns occur, where sugar addictions are rampant, where dopamine and serotonin levels run amok, where right thinking and right doing um, oftentimes runs contrary to the will of God, what we must recall to mind is the restorative nature of the kingdom of God. It's a restorative nature. The, the, the healing of the nations, that's part of what I'm going to be talking about in Africa. That's, that's what God intends to do. So does, does the Bible have answers to every area of our lives or not? If so, are we dealing with God in our suffering? Are we dealing with God in our frustration? Or are we idealizing or dreaming and, and refusing obedience in the midst of the struggle because we're off in fantasy world? 
Are we dealing with God? Are we pressing the depression? Are we pressing those emotions to, to see God in the midst of the struggle? See, what God is doing in the world, we know, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, is bringing healing and restoration to the brokenness, far as the curse is found. So there, near, there needs to be a careful balance, of course. Um, we need to not underestimate the grip of depression on people, right? By saying things like, well, you know, God is good. You just need to get over and pray more. Or get over it. Don't be, don't be selfish. You might need to remember the goodness of God in prayer. You might need to actually spend way more time in prayer. I don't know anybody in this room who couldn't agree that they need to be spending more time in prayer. You might be an extremely selfish person. You may have a sin in that area. You may, those things may be true. But oftentimes they're not helpful. Oftentimes they are underestimating. The other thing is we need to not overestimate the grip of depression that it has on people by saying things like, well, you're never going to recover, just keep popping pills. Or there's absolutely nothing you can do so just keep binge eating all hours of the night. <laughs> Again, we need balance. We need, to have, we need to have principled balance from Scripture. And part of the process of balancing means avoiding the extremes, right? And, and avoiding the tendency to overgeneralize. We do that in a lot of areas of our lives. You know, committing one sin doesn't mean you've abandoned and left the faith. Nor does making, you know, one mistake at work um, mean that you are an utter failure. Those, those are extreme. We, we, extre- you know, we take everything to the extreme. Um, sometimes, sometimes I would say all of us in this room are prone to potentially maybe focusing on the negative way more than the positive. So we spend more time critiquing someone than encouraging them. Other times, we take the positive, and we are so good at that, we bend it into a negative somehow. Sometimes we develop an unhealthy fixation on others, constantly pointing out their faults in hopes that it'll make us feel better about ourselves. Or perhaps we're insecure, and thus we withdraw from others, or we, we um, find ourselves not longing for the community God has for us. See, we can, we can give ourselves over to hasty assumptions about other people all day long, especially with those with whom we do life on the regular. It can happen in our community. It can happen in any community. See, we have an experience with someone, say a, say a friend. Say a friend who was late to your meeting. You were getting coffee or something, and you assume she just doesn't like you anymore. Or perhaps, you know, um, he didn't text you back because he was busy at work, but you assumed that his intentions, and then you rehearsed it over and over and over again in your head. See, sometimes, sometimes our feelings of hopelessness and despair are so strong that we will adopt pagan thinking in order to help us deal with it. We think it'll help. We might adopt the thinking that we can predict how things are going to be based on our feelings. Well, I feel this way, therefore, this is what's going to happen. Sometimes we'll toss out the mental in favor of the emotional, as if one is more important than the other. This could be someone thinking that depression is inherently a sin, and since they're a sinner, um, they'll never get out of sin. <laughs> this cycle of despair can be driven by this incessant need 
to be liked and loved. And whenever somebody doesn't give you what they think you, sh- you know, what you think they should or what they deserve, they pity themselves. They never press the depression. They just start going down the, you know, the emotional thought train with assuming things instead of pressing. They embrace. See, other times we're given over to this performance-driven life. We're the, you know. I'm a firstborn. There's other maybe firstborns in here. We're the firstborns. We, we have perfectionism problems. We have unhealthy expectations of ourselves, which leaves us crippled in despair because we can never get it right. You know, our aim is usually to outperform the next person. And then sometimes we'll criticize them for not being like us. Judgmentalism. See, lastly, there's all these different factors. Lastly, there's a tendency in Christian thinking to take on the responsibility when we are simply not called to do so. See, for example, maybe our kid acts out and then we rush to the extreme of thinking that we're a complete failure of a parent. No, you have a child. And total depravity is a thing. And sanctification is a thing. Or, or perhaps our lack of repentance in life has more to do with believing the truth of, say, 1 John 1, 9, which says that God is, in fact, faithful and just to forgive us our sins when we confess to him. We fail to believe the forgiveness. We fail to believe the, con- the, the cleansing. See, all of these things can contribute to depression. None of them can solve it. Our interactions with each other our assumptions about each other, our assumptions about ourselves. All of those things is, can be a heaping mess and, and, and it can contribute to depression. And all of them, to use an analogy, all of them can contribute to a messy garage and suddenly you walk in one day and you wonder how it got so bad. You know, we need right thinking and part of the right thinking is fighting for biblical thinking all the way through the process. And this can be incredibly challenging, especially for the most severest cases of depression, where people genuinely have suicidal thoughts. That is a difficult, dark place to be. But it should be pressed, and not pressed with stupid things. Pressed with genuine empathy, genuine love, genuine regard, um, being, being quick to listen and slow to speak sort of thing. Now, having said all that, I think it's important, we've touched on it earlier, to treat depression in a holistic manner. That's the balance I spoke of. There can be an abundance of causes. It could be sin. It could be stress in your life because you are way too busy and it's self-inflicted because you say yes to everything or, or whatever the case is. could be stress. could be stress because you're hanging on to, to some sort of problem that you haven't chosen to dealt with. It could be a spousal thing. It could be a friendship thing. It could be a parental thing. It could be anything, a work thing. Who knows? Um, there are abundance of causes, things like um, false expectations. We have an expe- expectation of other people, and they don't meet what we think, and therefore we shut down as a response. What about lifestyle? Lifestyle could be a contributing factor. It could be a cause. Um, what about life events? Life events, uh, traumatic events, could, could cause depression. The loss of a loved one. Um, we, years ago, I did a funeral for 
uh, a young infant who was only a few months old who was murdered. And some of you remember that. Uh, that's a traumatic event, if there ever was such a thing. And, and it shapes you and it changes you. Um, unhealthy patterns of sleep, terrible eating habits, um, crisis of faith moments where you're just, you know, not sure. You, God feels so distant and now you start to question things. Or what about false self images, right? Um, you could be given over to unbiblical psychology. Um, constant sickness because you're holding things in, or there's all these, it could be wrong-headed thinking about life and relationships. There's all these plethora of things that could contribute to depression. And given the fact that the causes can be vast, we can safely conclude that the treatment is just as broad and vast. One person can be depressed because of terrible decisions he or she made at work, and thus you're reaping the consequences, right? Another person can be depressed because of a traumatic event in the family. Either way, the treatments are going to be wide and varied, and we should see to it that we press in on it, that is, explore it so that we can understand it and best deal with it. See, it's important to keep these things in front of us so as to help those who are feeling down, but let me offer a clarification. I'm actually convinced, convinced and I think I've said this before, but I'm convinced that some level of depression or anxiety is actually normal for Christians. Here's why I say that. The reason I think this is because we are redeemed souls living in the middle of a grand renovation project. Christ is putting all of his enemies under, under, his, foot, under his feet as a footstool, right? He's putting an end to things like depression and cancer and anxiety and sickness. However, the end we know is not yet. This renovation of the cosmos is, is currently underway, which means we still have to deal with the difficulties. We have to deal with the traffic jams and the detours and the road closing and, you know, the orange cones. That'll end soon, I hope. We have to deal with the trials and the tribulations. The fact that there are trials and tribulations in this world presupposes things like evil, presupposes things like sin and things that aren't what they should be. But of course, Jesus is putting them back together. We have to deal with those things, though. We have to deal with the depression. We have to, we have to juggle and balance life in a world where redemption is currently underway, which means that I think we have to establish healthy patterns in every area of life. We need emotional health, cultivating things like encouragement. Who in this room could not be more, couldn't, couldn't use more encouragement? None of us, right? We, we could all use more. We need to cultivate that. We need to cultivate encouragement towards others. We need to cultivate joy in our lives and peace. We need to cultivate self-sacrifice and service and love. We, we need physical health. We, we, need, we need to cultivate things like nutrition. You're, you're your best own doctor. Don't rely on the medical industry. It's not going to help you. Cultivating things like exercise, holistic foods, those things. Your approach needs to be informed, so do the work. We need spiritual health. We need to cultivate things like Bible reading and prayer. We need to cultivate things like Sabbath and worship. Worship, you need rest. You know, if you're, if you're, for example, if your prayer life is non-existent, you're going to have a lot of difficulty. We, we must be on guard, keeping watch over our souls. And one of the ways we do that is by praying without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. See, our lives should be marked by constant prayerfulness 
constant, what we can call watchfulness. Um, it should be marked by prayer, scripture memorization, right? Uh, Psalm 119.9, how can a young man keep his way pure? Well, by guarding it according to your word. Bible study, book reading. You know, if we're going to guard our minds, we need the helmet of salvation, Ephesians 6.17. Silence and solitude before the Lord is a must. Get outside. Go to the Shenandoah. Take your Bible and just sit. Meditate, pray. You know, those things are healthy patterns. Um, what we can call economic development of the soul. It's crucial for living in this broken world. What about the physical? God is giving us a pattern for living. Yes, he uh, has. He, I think he has. It's called the Sabbath. There's rhythms of rest. Um, living simply. Um, taking a break once in a while. Going on vacation. Eating proper food. Spending time outside. All the things. All these things can be healthy patterns of Sabbath. See, rest itself is a pattern that God has placed in creation in order to bless us and keep us. We would do well to rest well. Um, and I think we would also do well to acknowledge that, that God has given each of us a dominion purpose. Um, however, that calling is not supposed to be a burden. It's supposed to be a blessing. And in our, in our pursuit of that calling needs to be healthy, too. The way we pursue it should be healthy. Developing healthy patterns, I, th I think it's a fight. It's a fight. It's a fight to do things we don't want to do but know we should do. Right? It can be challenging to put our phone away and enjoy our family for the moment. Um, it can be difficult to get out of bed when you've stayed up way too late when you know you have to work in the morning. Um, it can be a real bear sometimes grabbing your Bible and opening it up instead of reading the latest drama on Facebook. And the reason is oftentimes because of unhealthy patterns being easier than healthy ones. You see, the messy garage of your emotional state didn't just magically appear one day. Day after day, week after week, you've placed things there, not realizing at the time that the accumulation of the emotional junk has just now built up. And changing these patterns means taking out the trash. Stop hoarding things like bitterness and jealousy. Stop holding on to self-pity and anger. You know, fight to keep the garage clean by repenting of self-righteousness, repenting of unbelief and carelessness in your life. But we can also help others keep their garages cleaned up by recalling to mind Romans 13.8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. Love is the fulfillment of the law. So there is an economic paradigm to our relationships with, the, with, these, with each other and ourselves. There are deposits and credits. There are withdrawals and profit margins. And the good habits can be tremendous credits in your life. Rest, worship, prayer, encouragement towards others, etc. The bad habits are horrific withdrawals and they will hurt you. Bitterness, anger, neglect, carelessness, spiritual neglect. But the only thing that we owe each other is love. That is this lawful treatment of one another. But it isn't a cold, lawful treatment of one another. It's a passionate, self-giving treatment of one another. It's the garage cleaning. It's, you know, it's the refusal to let unhealthy stuff accumulate by, by overlooking offenses in others, by a love that covers a multitude of sins. It's a refusal to let your garage's messiness spill on, over into the garages of others. So store the good stuff in your life Get rid of the bad stuff.
get rid of the messy. And this will require you, I think like the psalmist, to fight for joy, to fight for peace, to fight for happiness in your life, to fight for contentment. And one final thing, if, if there's one thing I think we've learned, learned thus far, it's that the answer to emotional despondency isn't stuffing our emotions. It's not that we're too emotional. I think it's that we're not emotional enough. In our empathy, in our witness towards the world and each other, towards victims of abuse, towards justice, um, whatever those things are, I think we're not emotional em- enough. Right? We should be far more angry about emotional, emotionally angry about injustice or abuse. We should probably be far more emotionally charged about the kingdom of God and its advancement in the earth. So instead of suppressing our emotions, fight for the right ones, especially in terms of despondency and seasons of depression. Um, Fight for the centrality of the gospel of the kingdom in your life. Um, Labor with purpose and vision and passion and vitality. You realize that Calvinism built the Western world, right? A theology of work changed the Western world. You go to work, whether you're plumbing, which is half of you, or changing diapers, you have a purpose. Half the problem with the world is they don't have a purpose. They don't know. So cultivate passion, cultivate meaning, and keep your focus on the one who died for your sins, but not just died for your sins, was raised so that you could be restored. Let's pray. Father, we give of ourselves to you this day. We give of ourselves because we know that we are far too quick to want to rely on our own strength and might. We are far too quick to think that we can handle things in in ourselves. Lord, I pray that, that we would be built up in the gospel, that we would be quick to acknowledge the purposes of our lives, that your spirit would equip us for that purpose. God, help us to clean the garage. Help us to clean, clean things up, God, where they need to be cleaned. Whether that's time management or discipline in areas of study or whatever those issues, God, I pray that your spirit would, would help us. Help us to, to be holy so that we can see the holiness of the world come to fruition. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.